0: Before we dive into today's episode, I want to share an exciting opportunity with you. The Breaking Free Workshop will teach you a step-by-step guide to turn your passions into profit. Join us for a transformative experience where you'll learn how to smash through your career plateau with a personalized plan in five strategic steps, avoid common mistakes that could be holding you back, and identify critical actions for the next month to accelerate your progress toward your goals, don't miss this opportunity to take control of your career destiny and create the lifestyle you desire. Your first workshop is free. Register now for the Breaking Free workshop. Visit smashingtheplateau.com/workshops for all the details. That's smashingtheplateau.com/workshops.
1: You know, many people in my generation, I'm 47, we had very practical parents like that, that they just weren't really going to put up with you chasing your dreams unless you have a trust fund or some backup. So I remember being in college and I wanted to get my PhD in communications. So again, to my practical parents, my dad was a CPA and my mom ran his CPA firm before he became a financial advisor. They were like, what in the world are you going to do with a PhD in communications?
0: Today, we're thrilled to have the incredible April Roberts on our show. April is not only a powerhouse of knowledge for Gen X female entrepreneurs, but she's also lived the high-pressure life of a former attorney and financial advisor. April brings a wealth of understanding about societal pressures and the relentless pursuit of success. In today's episode, April will dive into how she transitioned from the rigorous world of law and finance to empowering women through her podcast, Vixen Voice. We'll uncover the deeper connection among abundance, love, spirituality, and alignment, and how embracing femininity can lead to a more fulfilling entrepreneurial journey. If you're ready to shift from traditional success metrics and find passion in your life's work, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Join us as April shares her vision and the pillars she believes are crucial for personal and professional fulfillment, including time, energy, and confidence management. We'll discuss the importance of understanding personal core values, owning your worth, setting graceful boundaries, and creating a compelling future vision. Prepare to be motivated by April's story of resilience and her mission to guide women through the intricate dance of balancing business, family, and self-empowerment. Now let's welcome April Roberts. April helps Gen X female entrepreneurs achieve more abundance, love, spirituality, and alignment by connecting with their femininity. As a high-achieving former attorney and financial advisor with degrees from Vanderbilt and Notre Dame, April understands the societal pressures facing women that often lead to burnout. She hosts the podcast Fix & Voice, where she shares stories of Gen X women that have shed the traditional definition of success to pursue their life's true passion. April, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, David. I'm excited to be here.
0: So let's start off by talking a little bit about your background. Sounds good. Yeah, you were a successful attorney, then you ran an investment advisory. Tell me a little bit about those roles and what led you to become an entrepreneur.
1: Well, we'll start with the law. I remember uh, being at Vanderbilt, which, you know, my dad was the first person in our family to go to college. So I was the first person in our family to leave Mississippi and go to college. So I remember telling my parents when I'm at Vanderbilt and they're paying for me to be there. You know, I had a couple of scholarships, but it's very expensive to go there. And, uh, oh, I think I want to be an English teacher. And they're like, great, well, you can move to a university in Mississippi because you'll get paid less when you get out than we're paying for your tuition, right? And I think you know many people in my generation, I'm 47, we had very practical parents like that, that they just weren't really going to put up with you chasing your dreams unless you have a trust fund or some backup. So I remember being in college and I wanted to get my PhD in communication. So again, to my practical parents, my dad was a CPA and my mom ran his CPA firm before he became a financial advisor. They were like, what in the world are you going to do with a Ph.D. in communications? I was like, well, I was also thinking about going to law school. So I don't know if it's being the oldest child, you know, in this unique position I was in that my parents supported me going off to college. But I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm going to law school. And I think that's important because, you know, when we talk about societal pressures, I didn't feel pressure. I just didn't understand. I was following the program as had been laid out for me, right? Go get a good degree, get a graduate degree, work in corporate America. Like this was the path to success. So I went on to Notre Dame. And honestly, after one year of being in law school, they put so much in your brain because my parents were like honestly go to law school if you don't become a lawyer it's valuable right that was their thinking and after one year i was like no way i'm going to be a lawyer because <laughs> i mean i'm sacrificing all this time energy and learning all of this so i'm going to do it and honestly i i loved practicing law i loved the intellectual challenge of it i didn't like some other aspects of it. So, you know, if we look back, I got out of law school in 2001. So beginning of 2000s, obviously, you know, we were in a recession at that time, but The big law firms have it figured out because litigation does well in recessionary times and corporate does well in good economic times, right? So they really always exist. And I worked for the largest firm in Atlanta. I was on the business litigation team. So, you know, middle of a recession, we were hopping. So I started practicing law and I don't know that I ever had time to consider, is this what I want to be doing? So that was the first job. And, you know, relating to what I do today, same thing at that time. You were successful if you were one of the boys, quote unquote. And, you know, I hung out with all the guys. I was accepted. So I thought I was successful. I had this great career, you know, the firm I worked for was very prestigious, so I got tickets to things, you're 25 years old, and you think, you know, life is great, (laughs) and then sometimes it comes crashing down on you at some point, so that was my first experience in law. Intellectually, I loved it, and what happened was at some point... When I was looking at the facts of the, some of the cases I was working, I didn't feel good, I guess I would say, on a soul level about the work I was doing, if that makes sense. It didn't seem to fulfill me. And when I would email you know, the head of our team at 2 in the morning, he would email back, even though he was like the epitome of success. And I just started thinking, wow, do I really want to be like 40-something sending emails at 2 o'clock in the morning? So it was a bunch of, you know, these little indications.
0: Yeah, I totally get it. The whole idea of following the program. Mm
1: -hmm. I studied
0: engineering because it was something where you could make a decent living. Right. Right. Went to work in corporate, followed the program. And intellectually, I liked the problems that I was solving. They were challenging. It felt good to solve them. But there was nothing that particularly filled my soul about the kind of work that I was doing.
1: Exactly. And honestly, David, you know, some a lot of people don't really reach that point. Usually I see end of 30s, beginnings of 40s, maybe later. So I feel kind of blessed that I started getting those inklings at 25. So I've been kind of a corporate refugee really since I was 27 years old. I left corporate America 20 years ago. But you know, a lot of my clients were in corporate America when I was a financial advisor. They were retiring. That's what I help people do, like bridge that gap and leave work and go into retiring, which I loved about what I did because as a litigator, I was always solving problems for everyone. As a financial advisor, I felt like I was planning for their future. So for me, you know, I'm a very positive future oriented person that definitely filled my soul a lot more, I would say, than the legal work I did. Yeah.
0: And what kind of firm were you in as a financial advisor?
1: I had my own. So luckily by that point, my dad had his own CPA firm when I was growing up. He sold it and then became a financial advisor. So he had kind of done the jumping around firms thing and couldn't find his fit started his own firm as an independent advisor so i mean that's what i had modeled to me and both my grandfathers one was a paint contractor one was a contractor that owned a dry cleaners you know my parents had always had their own business so for me like the crazy roller coaster of entrepreneurialism was normal like that's what i thought life looked like
0: yeah so what what was the trigger that prompted you to be a resource to women that were going down the same path?
1: So great question. I started my career in finance in 2008 of all years, but honestly, I fell in love with it because of that, because our clients were really hungry for, you know, an independent firm. Like at that time I was working with my dad. I like to joke that I was his intern. And then I moved to Houston and opened my own firm after working with him because I did everything, right? Which I think <laughs> I know when you're a solopreneur, you find yourself in that same position, right? You're filling all the hats and I just think it's such it lays a better foundation for your business later if you understand all the parts, right? It's not fun when you're having to fill all the hats, but you understand how things should be done, how long they actually take, what the expectations are. And of course, your business evolves over time. But, you know, I loved that with my dad, I did everything and sat in all meetings with him. That, you know, I really thought was a blessing. And To be honest, I had just gone through a divorce, so I was at a time in my life where I had a lot of void to fill. So, you know, it was fine that I was working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Not what I wanted for my whole life, but I was excited and I loved going into the financial industry.
0: Right. And then what was the bridge that helped you decide you wanted to be of service to other entrepreneurs as your primary focus?
1: Yeah. So I was a- Because it is a shift. Oh, it's huge. We'll talk about that because this is not my first business, right? So I thought it'd be so much easier the third time around. And honestly, it's not that easier. So I would love to share that story so that other people know they're not alone. But for me, you know, once I found financial advising, I was running my own firm. I built a team. I loved my clients. Our clients were loved us. They were very dependent on us. I promised, you know, really to take care of them their whole life. And so that was really hard emotionally. And like we said, filling your soul, because I'm like, gosh, I promised these people, you know, we're going to take care of them. And I was feeling called to do something else. And to answer your question, it was a slow call, I like to call it, because I thought I loved what I did, you know. I love the role that I played in people's lives. But as an advisor, what I always did was help them come from a place of abundance. I used to joke that I would empower my clients to spend their money because so many people have scarcity mentality going into retirement, right? Because the paychecks are stopping. And so I empowered them. And what happened was 2020 tore down most people's abundance mentality. So I find myself like March of 2020... The world is shutting down, including us. I'm running a business. I'm running a financial business, and the economy's tanking. And by the way, our clients were fine. We had them positioned well, but I was like literally on eight Zooms a day, six days a week, telling my clients they were fine. And then they were good because they were just looking at the news. They weren't actually looking at their accounts and how we were doing for them, right? And so I saw the pandemic as an opportunity. Because so many businesses had been commoditized. If you think about CPAs, they'd been commoditized by TurboTax, right? The financial industry was getting commoditized. And I thought, gosh, people really need people right now. They really need to be told they're okay. And that's what we do best. So honestly, David, from March of 2020 to January of 2021, i doubled our recurring revenue in less than a year just by showing up and serving our clients and serving their friends and family members and my other advisors as well. But April of 2020, something happened. I don't know if you believe in your intuition or fate. You know, I like to say it's God whispering to me. Other people call it the universe, the quantum field, whatever it is. It started in 2017, these whisperings. And the last one came April of 2020. And I'd been through enough in my life at that point that I knew it was the third time. When you don't listen the third time, you get what I call the two-by-four across the forehead, right? (laughs) Something happens where you're forced to change. So April 2020, I had that final calling. I was reading a book. There was a vision I had. The vision was described distinctly in this book, like very closely And I just remember looking up and going, really, right now? You want me to figure this out right now? (laughs) So I continued 2020 with my financial practice. I actually started our own registered investment advisory service to serve our clients better in September 2020. So I now have two companies I was running. Plus, I had this pull to draw, to design a third company. So speaking of time management, that's when I became exceptionally good at time, energy, and confidence management, right?
0: Yeah, you have to be.
1: Yeah, right? And I know a lot of your listeners are, you know, maybe in corporate and looking to do a side hustle or build up, and it's the key. You have to have your time allocated, energy, etc., So to answer your question, I told you it was a slow call. April of 2020, I started doing something I wasn't very good at, and that was asking for help because I knew (laughs) I had to do something. So, you know, I had mentors. I'd been in their masterminds. I called different people. I was like, hey, I'm really being called to, like, be on stages. That's what I saw. Of course, there were no stages in 2020, right? I was like, I need help figuring this out. Who do you know? And I got on a series of calls with other female entrepreneurs, and we all had the same issues. And we were all having to relearn how to juggle life in this new world, right? And I talked to a lot of women that were either forced out of corporate out at this time or choosing to leave corporate because of the balance with you know kids at home, et cetera. And it just came to me. Okay, I have two entrepreneurial grandparents. I have entrepreneurial parents. I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. Like, why wouldn't I help like support these women in this transition? So, 2020, it started. I sold the financial practice fully March of 2023 and went 100% into the Vixen Gathering. So, it did, you know, it took three years, three years because it was my side hustle to get it to a point where I felt comfortable, sell the business, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And now that you're focused full time on what you're doing to serve entrepreneurial women, what do you see? And also, I would say, fast forward from 2020 to 2023, 24, what do you see as their primary challenges?
1: So (laughs) I could tell you the five pillars of Vixen, which are time, energy, and confidence management, which I think go hand in hand. Number two is knowing what they truly want. So number two, we get into personal core values because... You know, we talked about the program at the beginning. Well, as you go through your life, and we're talking about women in particular, they become mothers, now they have a business, they're a wife, they're in community— you kind of start losing yourself. I think anyone who's had tremendous responsibility understands this, right? The more responsibility you get, the more you start losing yourself. So number two is really understanding what you want and what you want your life to look like. Number three is owning your worth because at this point, a lot of us have been through trauma when it comes to knowing what we're worth, what we should get paid, asking to be paid well. Asking clients for money. I was just listening to another one of your podcasts talking about prospecting, right? And how challenging that is as a solopreneur, entrepreneur, when you're selling yourself. Number four is setting graceful boundaries and self-love. So again, I think setting boundaries is a huge component of time management because you could have a perfectly designed calendar, but if you can't say no to the wrong things, you tilt your calendar, right? You just blow it up. And number five is creating a compelling vision of the future, which is that high level business planning. Why do I do this? Who do I serve? What's my company core values? And of all of those, the thing I see female entrepreneurs having the hardest time with is setting revenue goals and talking about money, to be honest. Why? I don't know. I experienced it when I went into Vixen Gathering and my financial practice, I always had, here's the revenue we want to bring in, here's how many new clients we want to onboard, like it was just a number, right? And something about when I went to the Vixen Gathering and it was so purpose-driven, I was like, no, I'm just on fire with my purpose, it'll all work out. And thank goodness, I had a coach who told me, no, April, I need a revenue goal, (laughs) and I gave it, and he was like, now I need you to double it. Because it's too low. And so I like to kind of be that voice of reason for my clients I work with. I also think, you know, I may work mainly with Gen X women. And like we said, they have families. We're really called the sandwich generation, where many of us are taking care of parents. I personally don't have kids, but most of my clients have kids at home. And they're trying to balance all of these things. And I think many women, and, and this could be with men too. Again, I'm I'm working mainly with women. But they basically see making more money as I have to give something up, right? I have to sacrifice something. And so there's almost a negative connotation to setting a revenue goal and having a goal to make a lot of money. So we have to do a lot of mindset work on that.
0: Yeah. And do you see these issues as being primarily with Gen X women as opposed to other age groups?
1: No, the money mindset is is throughout. I think there has been, you know, that's been part of the system or the programming. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but, <laughs> you know, you're taught to, again, go to college, get a good corporate job. As we know, you're usually limited. There's like a ceiling somewhere on the income you can make, right? So
0: oh, when you're an employee, there's always a ceiling.
1: Exactly.
0: Unless you're in sales working 100% on commission.
1: Right which you have control. And so, you know, there's this theory that there's security in having a salary, whereas I think you would probably agree with me, but as an entrepreneur, I feel a lot more security in being in control of my future and what I'm going to earn, right? Where I don't have that limit. So, I think it's just, you know, it's how it's how it was built. We go to college, we get a good degree, we get a good job, Usually you work hard and you're going to get a raise, but, you know, you're capped. And so I don't think that we as human beings have developed the skill set of having this abundant, unlimited mentality when it comes to money.
0: Yeah. I always tell people that when you're earning a salary, there's a limit as to how much your salary could potentially go up. Yep. And if you're an entrepreneur, it may be hard for your revenue to go up. But there actually is no limit. If you want to double your revenue in a year as an entrepreneur, you can. If you want it to go up five times in a year, it can go up five times. Your salary is not going to go up five times in a year. Yeah. It just isn't.
1: I totally agree. Yeah.
0: I'd like to hear about the way the women you work with interact because you work primarily in group format. Is that correct?
1: Mhm. I have a mastermind, uh the Vixen gathering or the Vixen mastermind. I do do some one to one coaching, as you know that that's not the best leverage of my time, so it's a little bit more expensive. That's actually the women I mainly work one-to-one with are women just starting their business. So they need a lot more customized attention, right? Whereas in the VIX and Mastermind, we usually are having group meetings. There's some one-to-one time with me, and then we have a retreat once a quarter. So that's really fun.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what they experience in a group or community setting that doesn't happen when they're working one-to-one with someone.
1: Well, I think that we, in group learning, you know, in my financial firm, we would have a book club, a book of the month club, and all, you know, we'd all read a book, and then I asked everyone to bring their three ah ahas. Well, David, even if you had the same three ah ahas I do, you have them from a different perspective. So I just learned something more from your ah ahas, right? And then the person next to me has three completely different ah ahas. So in an hour with 10 of us in the room, We got 30 ahas instead of the three I walked away from from reading that book. So I think there's an acceleration to group learning. I also think entrepreneurship is lonely. If you're a solopreneur, if you have a team, there's a loneliness to it. And so the group, number one, lets you know you're not alone. Two, you have a team of cheerleaders, which how many of us have cheerleaders in our life? That's really hard to find. And three, you have a sounding board. I mean, we truly mastermind. I think you and I talked about this. A lot of masterminds don't truly mastermind, right? You know, I coach. I have a co-facilitator. She coaches. But we do do masterminding where it's like you may have an issue in your business and you bring it to the table and we have a format where we all help you brainstorm through it. And a lot of it, I think, is just speaking out loud what your problem is and speaking out loud your goals to a group that's going to hold you accountable and cheer you on.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things that I hear a lot from our members is just the act of having to articulate Yes, What you're working toward, how you're trying to get there, and what's going on helps bring clarity before anybody even says anything, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of amazing.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. And that's, you know, that's how we build our mastermind. We're not giving you an answer. You know the answer. You just need the space to speak it out loud. Like you said, think it through and really own the answer that's right for your business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't experienced this kind of mastermind process, it's hard to actually understand what it's like, but yeah. it is true that you, and the facilitator plays a really important role at mm-hmm. helping guide the conversation so that the person who is seeking some feedback is actually guided to the next step, as opposed to being told this is what you should do.
1: Yeah. I agree. And it's interesting just guiding the entire mastermind as such an art. So we had an event planner helping us find a place. She was like, well, instead of sitting at a table, wouldn't it be cool in these sofas? I was like, you're not trying to keep everyone on track all day. No, we need to sit around a table facing each other with notebooks in front of us. I mean... It's, it's interesting because we even, my co-facilitator and I, uh, Shelley Vernon, we have questions prepared for our breakfast and lunch together because we want to make sure no one hogs the whole time, everyone gets to talk, and all of the time is productive. You know, and there'll be a little more touchy-feely questions, but if you haven't really thought out how to facilitate this time together, nothing's worse than wasting someone's time and not giving them value.
0: Yeah. Speaking of time, April, I know we could go on a lot longer in this conversation, but I, you know, in in the interest of time, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access any resources you have or get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah, they can find us at vixengathering.com on social media at vixengathering. And also they can check out my podcast, The Vixen Voice. I actually do some complimentary coaching on the podcast. So you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple.
0: Sounds great. Well, April, first of all, I want to congratulate you on making the transition that you've made over the last few years and going into a a whole new line of service for people that badly need some support. And I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and just share your experiences and your insights. It's been great. My guest today has been the founder of Vixen Gathering, April Roberts. Thank you, April, for joining us.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Making the leap from the corporate career track to entrepreneurial business ownership can be done more effectively when you follow a system. In our Breaking Free workshop, you'll learn the five steps to smash your plateau, craft a weekly progress plan, and avoid common mistakes. This workshop is for dreamers, risk-takers, and those ready to accelerate their business journey. Your first workshop is free. Visit smashingtheplateau.com workshops for details and to secure your spot in the next workshop. Don't miss out on this opportunity for a career transformation. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash workshops. Join us on our next episode of Smashing the Plateau for more wisdom from industry leaders. Until then, keep striving, keep believing, and keep smashing.